one. Welcome to episode 23 in our second standalone episode of the G2 and 5G. It's brought to you by More Insights and Strategy. I'm Will Townsend, senior analyst uh, responsible for networking infrastructure. And again, this week, Angel Sag is joining me. Uh, we have a great guest today, Peter Linder. He's lead of 5G marketing for Ericsson. Welcome, Peter. Thank you very much, both of you. Looking forward to the session. Awesome. Well, I'm going to get started first. I have two topics that I want to discuss with Peter, and so does Anshul, and we'll kind of go in a round-robin fashion. My first one, Peter, is uh, 5G use cases. I've done a lot of publishing on Forbes around the application of 5G, given its low latency and high throughput relative to LTE, but would love to hear from your perspective where you see uh, the most impact for, for 5G. So when I look at 5G use cases, I try to group them in six different categories. Uh, the first one is enhanced mobile broadband. It's very much like the evolution of what we're serving to, to mobile phones. Uh, I see that it's very much shaped around uh, increasing the video quality uh, that we can, uh, we, we can get and, and receive. Uh, also, the ability to stream games to mobile devices, not only to advanced game consoles and, and powerful desktops. And the third one, the ability to, to deliver untethered AR and VR. So cutting the wires to, to compute adjacent to an AR and VR device, having that residing in the edge and, and going over 5G down to the device. And all these three categories requires a little bit more bandwidth. And so it's, it's very difficult to do it with 4G. Mm -hmm. The second category is very much about fixed wireless access uh, and bringing uh, fixed broadband into areas where fiber is not really reaching, either in urban areas where it's perhaps either difficult or too costly, or in rural areas where looking at both finding ways to enhance the uh, rural infrastructure, both for fixed and mobile applications. And I think that one, it's, we start a little bit there with, with fixed wireless access, and then it's been gradually growing interest. But I think the pandemic has put the spotlight on fixed wireless access with mm -hmm. their areas where we need to get broadband quicker than we were planning. So those are the two foundational use cases, categories. On top of this one, I see one which is broadband IoT and massive IoT, which is essentially can do them with 4G today, where the volumes are picking up uh, first, but um, that some of these can be enhanced with 5G. Mm -hmm. And the other two is critical IoT and industry automation IoT essentially use cases that require the more advanced capabilities of 5G, both in terms of speed, latency, and reliability, mm -hmm. uh, and essentially getting to the point where the, where the wireless broadband capabilities as if it would have been a wire. Excellent. Yeah, you touched on rural, and I'm, I'm curious. I mean, that, that's been a big gap, right, and in the U.S. Um, can 5G solve that? Yeah, I think I, when I started to talk about this 5G in rural areas, a lot of people feel, oh, we can never get there. 5G is going to be something that's going to increase the divide. Right. And I think that the drivers, the drivers for 5G in rural, rural areas, like market forces will make sure that 5G gets into the urban areas. We won't forget about that. Sure. So it's a little bit, we have to approach this in a different way. Uh, what I often try to get across is that we, we have to have a strong vision for 5G in rural areas. I often talk about the clever countryside, the sibling to the smart cities, mm -hmm. and it's different problems that solve in the rural areas. It's not finding a parking spot in, in, in a parking garage and right. things, applications like that are important, yeah. but it's about 
It's about connecting the rural citizens. It's about connecting the rural businesses, farming, outdoor recreation, green energy production, those kind of things. And also the, the local community functions like education and, and remote healthcare, super important. So I think that looking at it from that perspective, I think there is a lot of potential to unlock. Yeah, I would agree. And, you know, ag tech, I think, is a big opportunity to, you know, applying connectivity to these areas that have been underserved to improve crop yields and, and, and increase yeah. the overall food supply, right? Not only in the U.S., but globally. Yeah. No, but also making sure that the, the, the rural economy becomes part of the digital economy going forward. I think that rural areas has been more hit now during the pandemic simply because it was not as big portion of the rural areas sure. and I can see a lot of, of pe people living work now knowing that working from home in a digital way works very good that hey why don't I move to an area where I would like to live now I know that I can work in this way right yeah Makes total sense that's awesome thanks Peter great insight so um, Angela let me toss it to you and you want to talk about midband with uh, Peter yeah um, I kind of wanted to explore or talk about you know, mid-band technologies, at least, you know, in the U.S., because, you know, we in the U.S. are slightly different from the rest of the world, and that rest of the world started with 5G in the mid-band, while we started in the low and high, and are only now starting to kind of address the mid-band. So I was kind of curious as to, you know, what your vision is for mid-band uh, long-term, and maybe some technologies are enabling that. Yeah, so I, I think that the the uh, the, the mid-band long-term, I think we, we, if, if you make a very simple division between the three different types of bands, you can say low-band is very much for coverage to get everywhere. Mid-band is for capacity, especially in urban and, and suburban environments, also along interstate highways, versus high-band, which is very much for creativity, like it's perhaps in, in specific zones or used places where you can unlock significant values but not necessarily spreading all over. I think mid-band, the, the role that mid-band has played in the international uh, markets is essentially build out both capacity and coverage really quick. So you can have, you have a capacity improvement versus the, the 4G network that was in place there. And also reusing the 4G grid for, for the macro grid for, for building, building this out. I think as you pointed on, on the technology side, there's a lot of interesting technology development that's been with massive MIMO and been pushed to push to higher levels and like even pushing it into like a five gigabit uh, throughput on a, on a hundred megahertz uh, spectrum as was, was proven just, just recently here. So I, I think uh, massive MIMO plays a key role. Uh, and I also think that uh, it will be a 5G dominated band because a lot of these ones are new or has barely been used for 4G. Uh, so um, playing a very important role. And uh, I think we are a little bit on the back foot uh, that the fact that we don't have access to those type of bands. Okay, yeah, and that makes sense, especially with you know, T-Mobile only having access to 2.5 right now and the C-band and, and all the other options are happening. Um, as well as CBRS. So I guess in that case, um, it, it sounds pretty promising for the US market to finally fill that hole. Because I feel like, you know, the low band has kind of been giving that coverage, like you said, and the high band really offers those multi gigabit bandwidth numbers that everyone's expecting from a new generation. So 
but mid-bend is really what kind of, you know, balances it out in a way that makes it a complete and, and you know, full three-layer stack of technology and bands that serve the entire of 5G. Um, so I, I guess in that case, you know, having those multiple layers benefits, you know, unique use cases like private networks, which leads into Will's next topic. Nice segue, Angel. And you also touched on CBRS and, you know, it's exciting. So, you know, I, I kind of call CBRS and ONGO the democratization of licensed spectrum. So um, before only operators could bid billions of dollars on the, those valuable airwaves. And, uh, and now with CBRS and, you know, a shared licensing model, um, it's providing access to, uh, to businesses, to schools, to municipalities. So Peter, my question for you, how, how do you view the private networking opportunity and how can Ericsson participate in that? Yeah, so the way I would describe the private networking opportunity is like this is, is appearing in a number of different places where, where you see like in, in, in a kind of a use place, like a, an arena, a warehouse, a manufacturing plant or, or some university campus. There's a whole range of, of different use places where we can see that, hey, with wireless, bumped up wireless capabilities here, we can approach things in a different way. Mm -hmm. So when, when doing that, I think that we're starting to see that it's some, when we talk about the private uh, seller opportunity, there's something between Wi-Fi that we've had there, but we used it for certain purposes and it was perhaps not the primary access. Mm -hmm. And it was the cellular that we often saw, that, hey, that is something that goes to my phone and, and I pay for minutes and, and, and buckets with uh, buckets of data to it. Mm -hmm. I think that the, the, the private cellular opportunity, what I see is emerging is something that where you're looking at where you want the parts of the cellular DNA associated with some wireless at these locations. So what I mean by that is performance, security, availability, and reliability that where you see that that is what you need for to ser support certain business critical applications. Then you can come up with a couple of different models of approaching it and saying, hey, there's three key components that I see. It's a spectrum that could be licensed, unlicensed or shared. Yeah. It is the uh, ownership of the devices or the ownership of the network elements that could be owned by the business or owned by a third party. Mm -hmm. And it's the operations of the, the network at the, the locations. And that could be combined in a couple of different ways, depending on who, it doesn't have to be the same, like when you're talking about a private network, it doesn't mean that you have to own the spectrum and own the assets and own, do the operations on your own. Mm -hmm. So I think mm -hmm. we're gonna see a lot of models developing around that, throwing in network slicing in the mix, is something that's coming from the outside, right. but also looking at it, hey, if we now have a private network here, Will we have, uh, is it purely private or is it portion of it as private, parts of it's public? Because mm -hmm. if, if you're like taking mine, for example, and say, hey, we didn't have coverage here before, build a private network, why don't we use it as a public portion as well for some smartphones? Yeah. So um, I, I think there's, there's a lot of things happening there. Yeah, and no, it's very interesting. And, you know, I, I keep tabs on this and I write about it quite a bit. And, you know, the other, you know, I, I speak to a lot of journalists and the other question I get is, you know, hey, is mobile 5G going to kill Wi-Fi? And I always like to reply to that is, you know, I believe they're better together. It's really going to depend on um, 
not only the use case and the workflow, but just, you know, propagation and that sort of thing. And the need to, for example, to control tactile operations like robotics and those sorts of things. So um, Wi-Fi 6 certainly has improved on latency and device support and, you know, and all of that good stuff. But I think it'll be a combination. And, and to your point, I totally agree. I think the, the models will be varied. I think some like the, the, the large German automobile manufacturers, they have the wherewithal and the capability and the acumen to probably deploy and manage, you know, you know, these sorts of solutions, like maybe with the Deutsche Telekom, but I think others would, would seek a managed service as well. So uh, I think it's an exciting opportunity and it'll be interesting to kind of keep uh, tabs on that. So let's move to Angel's uh, last I think, topic. Just, just one topic before we move to that oh, one. Sure. I think you're onto something here, like, like when you're sharing it and, and in the very simplest form, you, you can say, hey, there's a battle between 5, 5G and Wi-Fi 6. Yeah. But if you look at the broader perspective, it's most likely 4G for certain things, mm -hmm. 5G for other things, and Wi-Fi 6 for, for other things. And then saying, hey, it's a movement towards a wireless-only environment, where it's a question, okay, which do I need all three, or can I do with two and, and yeah. doing a, a combo? Because I think it's hard to see short-term the scene that you put all the chips on in on, on just one of these technologies, and it's more kind of a complementary game where wireless is the uh, is, is the big movement. No, very good point, Peter. Awesome. Hey, let's go to Angel's uh, second topic and our last topic uh, this week. And you want to talk with Peter about millimeter wave? Yeah, specifically, I wanted to talk about um, long reach millimeter wave um, because it seems to be um, kind of something that I, I think a lot of people didn't really expect. Um, millimeter wave, you know, as, as, as physics have taught us, um, has limited range due to the short wave nature of millimeter wave. Um, but uh, now there are technologies out there that are enabling, you know, multi-mile connections over millimeter wave. And I was curious to hear as to, um, you know, what use cases you see being enabled by having the ability to deliver millimeter wave at you know more than a few hundred feet at a time and doing it you know in kilometers yeah so i think the biggest opportunity with with, with this application is for fixed wireless access because the uh, one of the reasons why, why when, when millimeter way when as you say that if, if you put the wall in, in between the antenna and the, and the device it started to have impact in the performance and, and sometimes even taking it out completely so what, what we have been doing now when working with, with uh, extended reach uh, uh, millimeter wave is essentially seeing what can we do to make, it, make, make the performance better to enable uh, fixed wireless applications. So in the kind of trials we've done recently showing that the uh, performance of more than 100 megabit per second up to five kilometers or, or three miles. So it's... I think there's a, a divider here between mobile application and wire, fixed wireless application because it, you, you make the job easier for the millimeter waves to, to reach each other if you're targeting one thing that's fixed here towards one thing that's fixed here. And you can start tune it, tuning it a little bit. So I think this extended reach together with the development that we're seeing right now with self-install uh, devices on, on, on terminals from the fixed wireless side. This is, this is opening up new doors and say, hey, this is reaching further than we, we thought. 
and we can take out the cost of white glove installations at the uh, as the customer premises. So I see I see some of these things right now coming together uh, quite nicely and and changing the game a little bit and the way we think about hmm, this is this, this is quite attractive. What we now do when we see that the uh, and when the the bar is uh, raised or moved. Right, and I, I guess the other do you see this being a wireless access for rural areas technology? Because it seems like a lot of the trials that I've seen recently were very focused on rural areas and rural carriers. Yeah, it's, I see it. I, I grew up in a small town with 5,000 people and no high school and no traffic lights. <laughs> so, and, and when when you look, the, 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 but we had a cool thing instead. We had a Formula One racing track, so that was a very, very peculiar from that perspective. But if 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 you look that where the people live in the, in those kind of communities, it's fairly concentrated. Uh, in uh, so it's not. So I, I I don't necessarily see uh, fixed wireless as uh, or millimeter wave as something that we're going to feed farms that are, are three four miles spaced apart. But I definitely see it. If if you look at the, I, I normally divide the rural in in four different segments in the middle of towns where you can deploy fiber and perhaps already have done it. Um, that market is gone, so we don't need to worry about that. But the market, the outskirts of town, where, where the cost is increasing and increasing, with uh, where there's challenge to build fiber, there it's interesting, and it's also very interesting technology for towns and villages that are along major uh, highways where you have access to fiber within a couple of miles, perhaps. It's mm -hmm. a fairly short reach of fiber that you need to put in, and then you can put in millimeter wave access uh, when uh, in in that town or village. Uh, and being connected to a big fiber grid. So that's where the two applications where I see the biggest potential. Okay, yeah, that's great. I, I, I recently went on a trip out to a rural area and was really impressed with what 600 megahertz was able to do, but I could tell that there was definitely some need for a higher band that would you know, further saturate outwards to the edges of the town. And it's just interesting because um, I feel like millimeter wave could also be used as backhaul, um, you know, multi-point backhaul um, to kind of improve yeah. coverage for other bands, but maybe not necessarily be the primary band that, you know, delivers the coverage. Yeah, and I, and I think when you get out to these these smaller communities that perhaps have been underserved for quite some time with broadband, the kind of energy that there is in the in those communities, like what what if can we get broadband now? It's like I can go back 15 years when I was, I was marketing DSL and I was pulled into a Swedish radio channel just live. They just pulled, called me on the phone and said, hey, we've got a broadband expert from Stockholm here. And <laughs> people have heard that, that we had a device that could do 12 lines of DSL. And they, and they called and said, hey, our community is 19, be 19 people. Will, will that will we be excluded? Do we need to find five other guys that so we fill up all the 24? Or how are we going to approach it? And, and it was... It was absolutely amazing to, to, to see, and I've seen it over and over over the years, like the, the energy and, and the, the desire to, to really get it, it's, it's so strong. So once we, we show to them what can be done, I think we will unlock very interesting opportunities. That's a great way to wrap it up. Uh, I think um, that was a great anecdote. I think we all enjoyed that a lot. 
Um, and yeah, I, that kind of wraps up my last topic. And um, I think I'll uh, take us home. Take so us home. Our, we hope our viewers and listeners found this week's topics interesting. If anyone out there would like to provide us with a specific topic on 5G for a future podcast, please reach out to us on social media. Will is at Will Town Tech, and I'm at Anshul Sog. Thanks again to Peter Linder and Erickson for joining our standalone 5G episode. We hope you have a great weekend, and please tune in again next week. Thanks, Peter. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure to be here. Likewise.